Welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast, where we tackle teaching challenges from a biblical perspective. Why are we here? Because we don't believe that our spiritual walk and teaching profession should exist in two separate domains. Rather, the hope we have in Christ should change how we approach everything, not just at home, but at school as well. So join us as we explore both the spiritual and practical sides of key teaching challenges, integrating them together so we can succeed at teaching, glorify God, and make a lasting difference in our students' hearts and lives. This episode is brought to you in part by Gospel Adventures. Gospel Adventures is a free five-day curriculum for grade school and middle school-aged youth. Use the videos, music, and principal curriculum to walk kids through the experience of meeting kids just like them from another part of the world. Sing about God's love and discuss the God sightings you see throughout the week. Be sure to join us for this year's trip to India. Gospel Adventures Celebrate India is available now. Learn more or register for this free program at gospeladventures.org. Well, welcome back to this podcast series on effective classroom management. Last week, we considered the question, what kind of classroom management has God called us to? We talked about the importance of the fruit of the Spirit, about how we want to see the whole child and love and care for their heart and soul, not just be worried about their behavior. And then finally, we discussed how we need to hold students accountable and the role of consequences in that. Well, today we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about some common classroom management mistakes that really cause chaos in the classroom. And I can't wait to dive into these with you. So before I do that, though, I want to invite you to a live training that we're having. We're going to be discussing these mistakes, um, but also have so many more things to share with you on this live training called How to Reduce Disruptions Without Yelling, Begging, or Bribing. You can join us for free at teachfortheheart.com slash training. So let's dive right into this. Mistake number one is choosing between being kind and firm. So I don't know if you've ever been told that you're being too nice as a teacher. Um, I I think I've probably been told this before. A lot of people um, have come to me and said, I've been told I'm being too nice. And as I thought about this, The reality is that I don't believe that's possible. I don't believe it's possible to be too nice as a teacher. But what people often mean when they say you're being too nice is actually that you're not being firm or you're not holding students accountable. But I don't believe that it re- you have to be mean to get students to misbehave. And I do think sometimes there are people that think that, that it's a choice that either I'll be nice and they'll misbehave or I can be mean and then they'll behave. But the reality is that we don't have to choose between those, okay? We can and must be both kind and firm at the same time, or said another way, be nice and strict simultaneously. Um, So if you've ever found yourself thinking of those as an either or, like I'm either the nice teacher or I'm the strict teacher, I want you to marry those together and say, okay, from now on, I need to be the nice and strict teacher or the kind and firm teacher. So, so important. When we are both kind and firm, that means that hopefully we are nice. We're personable. We're understanding of our students and their struggles. And it's great if we're even fun to be around. At the exact same time, though, we have high expectations of our students. 
we deal with issues that come up and we're not a pushover. And I hope if you listened to last week's episode that you're seeing an echo of what we talked about in what would God, how would God have us manage our classrooms in that he wants us to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And some of those are kindness. Kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so we absolutely can do that. But we also talked about how it's important to hold students accountable and how consequences are used by God, a loving God in our lives, right? And so... We see this again here, where we are called to be both, where really, um, from both a biblical perspective and a practical perspective, we see it is essential to be both kind and firm and not feel like we have to choose between them. Let me talk about a few practicalities of what this might actually look like, or a few examples. Um, let's talk about the area of being liked. If you are thinking, I'm the nice teacher, you might find yourself worrying about your students liking you and like, what if they don't like me? Sometimes though, teachers take that and run the opposite direction and say, okay, I'm not gonna be the, I'm not gonna worry about being kind. I'm gonna be the strict teacher because I want students, you know, I want students to take me seriously. And in that case, you might be resigned to the fact that students aren't gonna like you, like you. You might be like, you know what? My students aren't gonna like me and that's fine. That's what that sounds like. But what we wanna do is once again, be both kind and firm. And here's what that looks like. That looks like I am not worried about being liked, but I'm focused on earning respect. And that's powerful. If we wanna focus on being the type of teacher that earns our students' respect, that is when we're going to make the right decisions um, in relationship to our students. So first we talked about, you know, worrying about being liked and said instead we want to focus on being respected. Another example of this is if I'm being the nice teacher, I might feel like I want to be my student's friend, um, right? And that comes from a good place. It comes from I want my students to, to be able to come to me and talk to me. On the other side of the spectrum, if you're like, nope, I'm the strict teacher, you might be like, you might find yourself not showing that you care enough and students don't know if you care about them. I hope you can see that neither one of those are really what we want to be. So the kind and firm teacher focuses on being a mentor and they see themselves in that light. And that's what we want to do. We want to see ourselves as our student's mentor. I hope that word evokes the concept that you care about your students and that you're there to help and support them and help them grow and learn. But you can see a mentor relationship is different than a friend relationship, right? Friend is a peer relationship. You're not going to hold, you're not going to give your friend homework or consequences or, you know, get on them necessarily. Um, you know, it's more of a buddy relationship. And that's not going to work well in the classroom. But if you see yourself as a mentor that has all of the care and compassion and, and pouring into our students, right? Um, but recognizing that I also have the responsibility to call them um, to a certain standard. So I really do believe that it is a big mistake. So mistake number one is choosing between being kind or firm. And that is a, be a big mistake. Rather, we need to be both kind and firm. And that truly is the only way to earn and to keep our students' respect. So mistake number one, choosing between being kind and being firm. Mistake number two is assuming good procedures will just happen naturally in our classroom. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know how much time you've spent thinking about procedures, but procedures can seriously make or break a classroom. If you have good procedures and students follow them consistently, that is really going to make your classroom run pretty smoothly overall. But if you have kind of haphazard procedures and they're not followed consistently, that is going to lead to chaos. Now, there's a couple reasons for this. The first is kind of obvious and practical, right? Um, Good procedures, when they're done well and they're followed, they prevent a lot of chaos because procedures are meant to prevent chaos, right? Procedures are meant to make things run smoothly. That's kind of their entire point. So from a practical standpoint, if you have good procedures, it's going to help things run more smoothly. If you don't, it's going to be more chaotic. That is obvious. But there is another reason why procedures matter that is more intangible, but I think just as, if not more important and powerful than the more obvious practical reason. And that's this. When we allow students to not follow our procedures, we are sending big signals to them, in some cases without even realizing it, that what we say doesn't really matter and that anything kind of goes in our classroom. Because if we've said this is the procedure, but then we don't really make them follow it, that's what we're saying, right? You don't really have to do what I say. You only sometimes have to do what I say. So you can see how that's really going to cause some issues. And a lot, so a lot of times when we start by not making students follow even just simple procedures that we might not think are important, students notice that. They might not say it out loud, but it's like this intangible signal. And students are going to start pushing boundaries in other areas. And they're going to start misbehaving in other ways, too. Conversely, though, when we say this is the procedure and we're going to insist that it's followed and I'm going to make sure that we actually do it the way I say and I'm going to insist it, I'm going to ask you to redo it if we're doing it wrong, that is another huge signal to students that, oh, okay, they do mean what they say and it does matter that we follow directions and they do have high expectations and they are going to hold us to them. And that also translates to behavior. Students are not going to try as much because they're going to quickly get the sense that you mean what you say and that you're going to hold them accountable. So don't miss that when you think about your procedures. It's not just about the procedure. It's also about that intangible message that you are sending to your students. So what I want you to do right now is maybe think through, think about a chaotic time in your classroom. (laughs) Maybe it's start of class. Maybe it's transitions. Maybe it's bathroom breaks. Chances are you either don't have a procedure at all for that Or the procedure isn't really a good one. It's just not well thought out. It's not working well. Or you have a procedure and it's just not being followed. So what you need to do is decide how the procedure should work. So think through, okay, do I need to change the procedure itself? And then teach the procedure. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you've heard me tell this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's so important. There is a four-step process that you can use to teach procedures that really makes a difference. And it not only helps the procedure be followed, but it also is that intangible that we were talking about saying that, you know, we mean what we say. So number one, when you teach a procedure, you need to explain the procedure. You already know this one. It's important to explain the procedure. This is where any modeling might be helpful too. In some cases, it's helpful to model what it looks like, what it doesn't, depending on your age of students and how complex the procedure is. 
but make sure you explain it clearly. Some, a lot of times though, that's all we do. We just explain it and then that's it. But there's four steps to this process. Step two is practice it. You really want to practice the procedure right away when you are teaching it. So explain it and then practice it right there. Even let's say it's the start of class procedure and you're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Don't just expect them to practice it tomorrow. Practice it right then. Otherwise, they're not going to remember by tomorrow what you expected. So it's really important to practice the procedure when you're teaching it. But that's still not the end. Number three is to correct. So when students um, redo, you know, practice the procedure, they're not going to do it perfectly. And so it's important to acknowledge this was done well and this was right, but this wasn't and this needs to be different. So don't just let it go if it's like 80% right or 50% right. Don't just be like, okay, moving on. This is where it's important to insist that they're followed. We need to correct. And then really the money comes in in number four, redo. So have students redo the part of the procedure that was done incorrectly. Once again, there's a tangible and intangible reason for this. The tangible reason is because um, we want them to practice doing it right. If we practice doing it wrong, that doesn't really help us. We want to practice doing it right so students actually remember this is the way to do it. But for the intangible reason is even more important. By correcting and redoing the procedures, you're showing students, I really mean what I say and we're actually going to do it that way. And that is so important. So real quickly, an example of this, let's say you're teaching a new start of class procedure, okay? So students come in, they sit down and say, okay, this is how we're going to um, run start of class from now on. So you explain in detail, you model as needed, whatever you're doing. Then you would say, okay, class, we're going to actually practice it. I want you to quietly, in just a minute, I'm going to have you go quietly out into the hall and I'm going to open the door and you're going to come in and you're going to do all the things we said and maybe you review them there with them, okay? So let's do it right now. And you actually have them go out and come in and practice. As they're doing that, you notice, oh, oh my goodness, um, you know, Ryan, remember, we don't run into the room. I want you to go back out and come in the right way. So you're correcting and redoing. You're acknowledging, okay, good. This was good. This was good. Oh, I see five desks that aren't cleared. Let's clear off all of our desks. So sometimes the redo involves the entire class redoing it. Like if you if, it, if you felt like, man, they did a really bad job, like half the class didn't do what they were supposed to, you might have the entire class redo the procedure. Or you might just have certain students redo a part that they did incorrectly. Um, so whatever the case, though, you're basically going to make sure that the procedure is followed through all the way. In doing this, it takes a little bit of time and effort, but it's so worth it because good procedures really are the backbone of a smooth running classroom. So that time you invest um, is a good investment and well worth it. So those are our first two mistakes. First of all is um, choosing between being kind and firm. Second of all, assuming good procedures will just happen. Mistake number three is not having a classroom management plan. I want to ask you this. Um, Do you know what to do in your classroom when a student blurts out a random comment or if they refuse to do their work? What about if they're rude to you or rude to a classmate? What about when half the class is talking when they shouldn't be? It's really important to have a plan and to know how you're going to deal with these issues. Now, I will say, when you're really experienced as a teacher and you are good at classroom management because you've built up those skills and you have a and you're confident in your classroom management and you have all the tools you need, then you don't really need to specify how you're going to deal with every single thing because you have the tools and the confidence and the know-all to to know that you'll be able to deal with it in the moment. 
But until you get to that stage where you're experienced and more expert, a plan is so helpful because when you don't have a plan and you're not an expert and a student misbehavior happens, it can really freeze us. We can, that misbehavior happens. And if I don't know how to respond, I might do nothing. I might just be like, I don't know what to do and just kind of let it go. Or I might deal with it really inconsistently. Like this moment, I, you know, react really strongly. Next time I let it go. The next time I kind of am wishy-washy. Like I'm not consistent because I'm not confident. I'm not really sure what I'm doing. So I just kind of either do nothing or I just react with whatever seems good in the moment. And either way, whether you're not, whether it's inaction or inconsistency, that really can lead to a big disaster. And this happens because students naturally push boundaries. It's part of human nature. And if that line isn't clear for them, they're going to keep pushing and pushing until they find the line. And typically they find it way past where they wanted us to because we let them push us and push us because we didn't have a plan and we were so we didn't do anything or we were really inconsistent. Another thing that happens here is students can sense uncertainty. It's kind of like this unspoken signal that says, I don't know what I'm doing, so you can pretty much get away with anything. And because of that, you know, what starts out as little problems in the classroom, just a little bit of talking, they don't stay little. They grow and they grow until before we know it, it's like a disaster and our classroom is way more chaotic than we ever wanted it to be. And it's almost like a raging fire that we don't know how to put out. So a plan fixes that because you know ahead of time exactly what you're going to do. You've decided when this misbehavior happens, this is how I'm going to handle it. And this helps you be more confident and it helps you be way more consistent. And so then the boundaries become much more clear for students. So I hope you're starting to see why a classroom management plan is really helpful. But you might be saying, okay, Linda, but like what exactly do you mean a classroom management plan? What's involved in it? Well, when we teach students how to make a classroom management plan, which we do do in the all-new Classroom Management 101, it has five parts. The first step uh, of the classroom management plan is well-thought-out procedures. So we think through what are the procedures in my classroom to make sure they run smoothly. Uh, Number two, clear expectations. So in other words, what am I going to expect of my students? What behavior is acceptable and what behavior isn't acceptable? And it's funny, when we work with teachers, a lot of times teachers realize, man, I was actually really fuzzy about what is what I wanted, what I was going to allow and not allow. It was actually not clear in my mind and I didn't even realize it. So that's really important. Number three, we think through logical consequences. In other words, what consequences are available to me or could I employ as needed? Number four, positive reinforcement. We want to think through how can I encourage my students and motivate them in a positive way as well. And then number five really puts it all together. We want to plan exactly how we're going to respond to various classroom issues. So when we teach this, when we help student uh, teachers with this, we have a whole list of common classroom issues and we go through them uh, one by one and teachers consider, okay, how am I going to respond when students blurt out answers, when they're being rude, when there's back talk and actually make a plan. This is how I'm going to respond and how I'm going to deal with each of these issues. And that makes such a big difference because when you have that, when you know how to respond to all of the most common things that happened and also have a plan for when something totally catches you off guard, then you don't have to be stressed about what to do. It eliminates that stress. 
it's so much easier to respond consistently. And as you respond consistently, consistently, the expectation and boundaries start to become really clear in your classroom. And so there are way fewer disruptions. And this is really why, to bring it full circle, why I said that I really don't believe that you have to be mean to be good at classroom management. You also don't have to have a super authoritative personality. I think anyone can be good at classroom management if you have a plan and then you stick to it and then you adjust it as needed. So there you have it, our three mistakes. Number one, choosing between being kind and firm. Nope, we're gonna be both. Number two, assuming good procedures will just happen. Nope, we gotta work at them and teach them. And then number three, not having a classroom management plan. We talked about how vital um, it is and how big of a difference it does make. So I hope you enjoyed listening to these three mistakes. Um, The next thing that we're gonna share next week is the process that you can use to implement a classroom management plan in your classroom and use it to create a more smooth running classroom without all the disruptions. So I hope you'll join us back again next week on the podcast to talk about that. We also warmly invite you to our free training, How to Reduce Disruptions Without Yelling, Begging, or Bribing at teachfortheheart.com slash training. Let's take a few minutes before we go to pray about what we've been talking about. Father, we thank you that you are with us, that we can pray to you about anything, even challenges that we're having um, with our classroom management and that you know and that you care and that you're involved. Teacher, take a moment right now to talk to God about um, the challenges that you're experiencing right now with classroom management in your own classroom. Talk to him about them um, and ask him to guide you in them. Ask God to help you have the right demeanor where you are both kind and firm. Ask him to show you any adjustments that you should make in that regard. And finally, let's end by praising God that he is with us and that he is working, even when we don't see it. Father, we thank you that you are working in us and through us, even when we don't see it. And I pray for each teacher that you'll guide them, direct them, and um, help them in all of these areas, including their classroom management. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're so glad to have you here and cannot wait to be with you again next week. Remember, all the notes and links about what we discussed today can be found in the blog post at teachfortheheart.com management. And if you're enjoying the series, we hope you'll invite a friend to listen as well. You can send them to the Teach for the Heart podcast wherever they listen to podcasts or to teachfortheheart.com management. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week. In the meantime, teacher, remember... God is at work in you and through you, and he's using you to make a difference. Keep your eyes on him and teach for the heart.